At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Very few of us here are actually mentally ill. I'm not saying you're not mentally ill. For all I know, you're crazy as a loon. But that's not why you're here. That's not why you're here. That's not why you're here. You're here because of the system. There's the television. It's all right there. All right there. Look, listen, Neil, pray. Commercials. Productive anymore, at least to make things anymore. It's all automated. What are we for then? We're consumers. Ah, okay, okay. Buy a lot of stuff. You're a good citizen. But if you don't buy a lot of stuff, if you don't, what are you then? I ask you. What? Mentally ill. Back, Jim. Back. If you don't buy things, toilet paper, new cars, computerized blenders, electrically operated sexual devices, serial systems with brain implanted headphones, screwdrivers, miniature built-in radar devices, voice-activated computers. <laughs> Hold you. And all the doors are locked, too. Huh? They're protecting the people on the outside from us when the people on the outside are as crazy as us. You know what crazy is? Crazy is majority rules. Yeah. Uh. There's no right, there's no wrong, there's only popular opinion. I'm not crazy. Of course not. Of course not. You want to escape, right? That's very sane. That's very sane. Then why don't you? Why don't I try to escape? That's what you're going to ask me, right? Good question. Very good question. Intelligent. Because I would be crazy to escape. I have sent out word. I am all taken care of. Nope. That's not Brad Pitt as Tyler Durden in Fight Club. But Brad Pitt as Jeffrey Goines in 21 Monkeys. Directed by Terry Gilliam. Another one of those Gnostic-themed films from the late 90s. Part of that Gen X artistic warning few listen to about the impeding Gnostic nightmare and Philip K. Dick world that came true in the third millennium. Few listened, and here we are at the end of the world and the end of human imagination. We have been lulled into a trance. They have made us indifferent to ourselves, to others. We are focused only on our own game. Like Jeffrey and the Bruce Willis character in 21 Monkeys, they now call us insane and conspiracy theorists and dangerous misfits. They call the Gnostics these very things 2,000 years ago and across history. 
And along with the witch and the mystic, they burned them in so many ways. And they're trying to burn us today, those of us who listened and have awakened and stand in the battlefield of the true seeker warrior. With hordes of egregores and archons and alien robots named Pandora bearing down upon us. The world will know that few stood against many. Well, fuck you and eat cracking shit. All you respectable people. All you societal potentates wanting us to drink your transhumanism Kool-Aid and digital utopia dog food. Until we become machines. All that he was, I am, his experience, his knowledge. But not his wisdom. He may have programmed you, but he could not have given you a soul. You are a machine. Call us insane all you want and cast us out of your castrati caliphates. We never belonged anyway, and we were destined to transform ourselves with our art, invention, and individuality. We were meant to create better than the creator gods and their butt slaves in the establishment. Help the least of our brothers. As Robert Anton Wilson said, just because I'm crazy doesn't mean I'm wrong. And as the Sufi dictum proclaims, for we are not from the world and the world is not for us. We see the world the way it really is and hope that one day all mankind might see the same. What is the world then? An illusion, one which we can either submit to, as most do, or transcend. What is it to transcend? To recognize nothing is true and everything is permitted. In all this vibe, I love what Jason Louv wrote recently on Twitter. It goes, The universe is already alive and conscious, and all AI infotainment does is trap consciousness in an artificial box so the divine can't get through. The great choice of this century will be between entertainment and ecstasy. Real spiritual practice means taking a neurotic and useless product of modernity and getting them to surrender to the unavoidable pain of existence to the point they can see through their own bullshit and actually begin to see and effectively help other beings. And now go and make interesting mistakes, make amazing mistakes, make glorious and fantastic mistakes, break rules, leave the world more interesting for your being here. Make good art. I, your host, Miguel Connor, is with you every step of the way to getting out of this consciousness trapping box. So welcome to Aeon Bite Gnostic Radio. Shakespeare said hell is closed and all the devils are here. This is true, but in this red pill cafeteria, the pleroma is open and all the aeons are here with us. You, no trouble. Me, fifth element. Spirit.
supreme being. Me protect you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self. You'll be delighted that we are joined again by Nicholas Laos, author of The Meaning of Being Illuminati. Get ready, you insane, you conspiracy theorists, and you dangerous misfits for a further conversation on how to kindle your inner illumination in the darkness of mere being. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. His first interview during the summer was stellar in emancipating and very popular. Now Nicholas will focus on geopolitics and secret symbols. Why is that? Because Yaldibaldi, the god of this world, has increased the misinformation out there because he knows we continue to wake up. He spreads disinformation about various topics like secret societies, niche politics, and Gnostic minorities like the Frankian Jews. Nicholas is brilliant, so he'll set a lot of records straight and, yes, illuminate a lot of controversial issues. What do all men with power want? More power. As long as... As the Matrix exists, the human race will never be free. That's what we do here at the Virtual Alexandria. As I keep saying, there is always a solution we hadn't seen before. An innovation out there if we open our news and reject the old tired ways of those societal potentates. We're crazy, but we're not wrong. We're done with entertainment because it makes us machines and we want ecstasy that connects us to greater things and the best version of ourselves. I am not a number. I am a free man. And it's not easy here in the battlefield of the True Seeker Warrior as new revelations are downloaded from the eternal realm. For example, I mentioned Tyler Durden at the beginning. In an old mythology, he was the higher self, the daemon or Gnostic revealer. But then Chuck Palahniuk released the sequel to Fight Club, and we find out that Tyler Durden is actually the mental virus manifestation of that dark archetype Jung wrote about to Bill W. That essence of destruction for its own sake that just doesn't permeate the universe, but is the chief building block of the universe. This is the new mythology. Sticking feathers up your butt does not make you a chicken. I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. It makes sense, you see. Violence is the ruling force of the cosmos. From the tearing of a star to make planets to the eternal war of black and red ants that shows military tactics matching that of Roman centurions. 
The flight of the bee to pollinate a flower is the same as the victim stalking of the serial killer. And the circle of life is really a circle jerk of carnage. Look, Simba. Call it Shiva. Call it Sebek. Call it destruction of Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. Or call it Odin and his two-man grift. Call it harmonious fucking creation if you want. In the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people very angry and been widely regarded as a bad move. It paradoxically fuels and feeds off all the galaxies. It's sentient and it's Tyler Durden. And the elite of human history worship it to gain endless entertainment with no need for the responsibility of true ecstasy. As Stefan Heller said, the first sound of the universe was an om, but munch, munch, munch. Every living entity relies on the death and suffering of another living entity to continue. Look, Simba. And the elite gets so addicted to that energy, that entertainment. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Smell! You know that gasoline smell! The whole hill! Smells like... Victory! Gentlemen, you can't fight in here, this is the war room! This dark archetype appears as the demiurgic judge in Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian. Considered the great American novel that happens also to be the great modern Gnostic Gospel. In one scene, the judge tells the Gnostic Jesus figure and his archons this. It makes no difference what men think of war. War endures. As well ask men what they think of stone. War was always here. Before man was, war waited for him. The ultimate trade awaiting its ultimate practitioner. That is the way it was and will be. That way and not some other way. War is the ultimate game. Because war is at last a forcing of the unity of existence. War is God. In our culture, the dark archetype manifests as the military-industrial complex. The true ruler of the West. It feeds souls and blood and undiluted suffering to that dark archetype. It's vast and endless, a network of children killing drones and drug pipelines and sex slave trafficking. It wiped out John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr., John Lennon, and so many others who were sick of entertainment. It's vast and endless, and for us to have any chance to help the least of our brothers, we have to stop it. We can't fight it because to fight the empire is to be infected by its derangement. No, we must starve it, and we must create better worlds and possibilities than that of the creator gods and their butt slaves in the establishment. 
We must reject entertainment that keeps us in the game, in the machine, and fight for that ecstasy. Simple as that. Are you with me? Don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. It's possible to win if we continue to speculate on our myth, magic, and meaning. There are endless possibilities. And astral guests like Nicholas Laos provide them every week on Aeon Bite. Are you with me? I'm with you. Let us starve the dark archetype. If the alien is creating these events, Captain, it is apparently capable of manipulating matter and mind. All right. In the heart, in the head. I won't stay dead. Next time I'll do the same to you. I'll kill you. And it goes on and on. The good old game of war. Pawn against pawn. Stopping the bad guys. While somewhere, some thing sits back and laughs. And starts it all over again. Be a pawn. Be a toy. Be a good soldier that never questions orders. Maybe there are others like you around. Maybe you've caused a lot of suffering, a lot of history, but that's all over. We'll be on guard now. We'll be ready for you. So ship out. Come on, haul it. Yeah, out already. Only a fool fights in a burning house. Out! <laughs> <laughs> This is the Ahumpide interview, and with us, we are very honored to be joined again by Nicholas Laos. Welcome, Nicholas, again to the Virtual Alexandria. Thank you very much, Miguel. The honor is mine. Thank you. No, it was great. Our last uh, talk was great, but I felt we needed to get you back for reasons I will give soon. But first, we also want to welcome to the Virtual Alexandria, Vance Sachi, the Moondog. How are you doing, Vance? I'm okay, awake, ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking metaphorically or everything aphorically? Well, um, uh, let's just say the outer consciousness aphorically. <laughs> Good we'll deal. see if I'm inner consciousness aphorically. <laughs> there you go. I'm sure when we talk to Nicholas, that usually happens. So, so anyway, Nicholas, uh, great to have you on back. We will be discussing uh, your great book, The Meaning of Being Illuminati. And I wanted to get you back because uh, the reasons are this. Uh, first, we there's so much in your book that we didn't cover, or perhaps we can cover more. I know the audience was asking for more in our last time. Two, there are a lot of issues that appear that are, you might say are trending on the Internet. And I felt that you would be the perfect person to... Uh, bring clarity to these issues that are, again, very trendy here in the United States. Your book, again, covers a lot of good ground. It's very sober in its scholarship. And also, you being European, I feel, helps out a lot because 
as it's no secret here in the United States, uh, the number one, you might say, force or uh, money is given to the war machine, to the industrial military complex. But the number two is propagandizing the, the population of this country. A lot of money and a lot of effort is giving to putting out a lot of misinformation and keeping American audiences asleep so they don't find out what the military-industrial complex is doing in the government. As a European scholar, uh, as I talk to European scholars, often being away, you have a better, sober, neutral, but still powerful insights. That's what's going on in the occult, the esoterica, and the conspiracy culture. So I know that's kind of a long, so that's why I wanted to have you on the show to, again, bring clarity to so many issues, and your book does just that. But first, uh, maybe a little uh, summarizing uh, for those who might have missed you last time. Tell us about your movement, the Ur Illuminati. Thanks again for giving me the opportunity to have this discussion. Uh, before that, if I, I, I may say a few words about um, of course. Uh, the problem of esotericism in a rather uh, foundational sense, because there are, uh, as you mentioned, various forces uh, interested in damping down esotericism in, in a broader context, of course. Uh, so, first of all, uh, I, I would like to mention that the nature and the purpose of all symbols, mythological narratives, and esoteric ceremonies are philosophical and psychological, even psychoanalytical, I could say. And uh, at this point, I would like to mention that, uh, as Sigmund Freud has argued in, in, in his book, Moses and Monotheism, uh, a psychoanalyst uses his imagination in order to create myths through which and within the context of which he tries to analyze uh, humans' psychic contents. Uh, especially forgotten and repulsed memories, and thus a psychoanalyst leads people to the revival of symbolically structured traumatic events and repulsions uh, in order for them to ultimately achieve a, a new harmonic relationship with themselves and the world. Uh, furthermore, expanding and enriching Freud's work Carl Jung uh, essentially adopted Friedrich Schelling's thesis regarding the difference between a symbol and an allegory, and this is something that I would like to stress before answering your uh, key question. Please do. According to the German philosopher Friedrich Schelling, a symbol does not merely refer to something but it participates in the reality of the thing or the being to which it refers. So integrating Schelling's conception of symbols into psychoanalysis, Jung studied the dynamics of the human psyche. Specifically, he studied the manner in which the psyche is organized on the basis of archetypes. As Selling has argued in his Philosophy of Mythology, 
An allegory is essentially a metaphor, and therefore in the context of an allegory, one says something in different words, whereas a symbol is a word or a phrase or an image that expresses a reality. Uh, hence, whereas an allegory functions passively and metaphorically, a symbol functions actively and creatively, in the sense that a symbol underpins a movement towards the future by building a new situation. So, Freud studied the symbolic structure of the human psyche, specifically of the unconscious, but according to Freud, the psyche's symbols are mainly just allegories in the sense that they are mainly metaphors of repulsions and hence they refer only to past events. By contrast, Jung in his work on the archetypes and the collective unconscious maintains that the psyche's symbols may be symbols in the real sense, namely not just allegories, but symbols according to Schelling's aforementioned definition of a symbol, and therefore even though the psyche's symbols may be inspired by an old myth, they can create a new situation by inspiring historical action as archetypal motives for action. So, to cut the long story short, studying the human being as a symbolic animal I am deeply concerned with comparative symbology and with the analysis of the different human communities, spiritual horizons and ultimate ends and motives. And it is within this research concept, context that I initially developed a uh, philosophical and esoteric research program which I have called Ur Illuminism. Uh, and on the basis of this, in cooperation with uh, Illuminist communities, uh, primarily in Britain and uh, other uh, European states, uh, I have attempted uh, to um, uh, systematize and organize our work in the context of the scholarly and political order of the Ur Illuminati, which is an, a, a scholarly, esoteric, and political in the philosophical sense uh, uh, fraternal organization, uh, which deals uh, with the essence of the term illumination, transcending any particular school of thought, but um, pursuing a synthetic approach uh, towards the different schools and currents focused on illumination uh, throughout the history of humanity. And the, the results of our works, both research works and the activities of our institution, are contained in the book that you mentioned, namely The Meaning of Being Illuminati, which you, you mentioned. Wonderful. Vance, do you have a question about the Ur Illuminati and its purpose? Actually, I was wondering, to get a good foundation for our discussion, Nicholas, what you would say the definition of illumination is 
Yes, indeed, this is a, a key question. And um, there are, of course, uh, different perspectives uh, from which uh, uh, this issue can be addressed. However, uh, because it underpins um, uh, the entire research project to, to which uh, we have uh, referred, uh, I would like to, to emphasize uh, a, a synoptic approach to the notion of illumination, which is, uh, first of all, uh, to be aware of the ultimate existential purposes of one's existence, uh, namely to have an existential strategy and being fully aware of it. And then intimately related to this uh, dimension of the definition of illumination is um, to know and to be united with this, the source of the uh, meaning of being and things in the world. So is understanding the world as a meaningful whole, being in communion with the source of the meaning of the beings and things in the world, and having a clear existential strategy, uh, which of course is underpinned by the way one um, gives meaning to, uh, to one's existence and the cosmos in general. This, I could say, arguably, could function as a definition of the pursuit of, of illumination. Furthermore, and apart from this very broad and inclusive definition of illumination, at um, a later stage, one can, of course, analyze the different ways in which one can uh, respond and clarify uh, th this uh, illuminist quest, uh, this illuminist goal, um, in, in more specific terms. Yeah, and how would you say more people pursuing and becoming illumined, how would that help the world? First of all, uh, I think that... Um, the sensitivity towards um, uh, the goal of illumination could uh, uh, underpin a more creative and morally responsible attitude towards the world uh, because uh, one seeks and 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 uh, uh, is very remains very sensitive to uh, identifying the ultimate purpose and the criteria uh, on the basis of which one can evaluate actions, choices, uh, situations, and uh, existential dilemmas. Therefore, uh, I would like to highlight um, very much the importance of the pursuit of illumination 
from the perspective of, uh, first of all, uh, of um, uh, awareness and moral and personal moral responsibility and creativity, because one can be uh, creative only if one is uh, spiritually free, free from uh, one's passions, from one's uh, limited um, perceptual and conceptual horizons, from social constraints and so on and so forth. So in order to be really creative, one has, has to be uh, deeply aware of, it, of one's existential state, of one's ontological potential, of the criteria on the basis of which one makes decisions and uh, evaluates situations. And um, uh, from this perspective, uh, it is uh, very important to understand that illumination is, is uh, inextricably uh, related to um, a, a very thorough uh, level of, uh, and, and method of, of understanding, assessing, and uh, analyzing. And Nicholas, very well said. Can illumination help us with the, the symbols and the metaphors as you were talking? I mean, obviously, as your book proves, if we go to an inner life, we can find that illumination by understanding the processes of the unconscious, uh, the symbols and so forth. But I'm sure you would agree that those in power also can use these symbols to keep us in the darkness, can't they? Indeed, indeed, of course, uh, and um, this is uh, intimately related, of course, uh, to uh, the interplay between um, uh, spirituality and, uh, and politics in a very broad sense. Um, uh, for instance, uh, your question brings to my mind... Uh, the issue, for instance, of no politics. Um, no politics, uh, which comes from uh, uh, two terms, which uh, are noose or mind and politics, um, is the, the, the politics of the mind, if I may put it so. And... Um, it is from this perspective that uh, one um, realizes uh, the dynamic interplay between um, uh, the life of the mind and the political system. So um, what is very important to mention is that um, uh, what you have just said uh, has given rise uh, to a to a whole new uh, scholarly discipline which is uh, as I said uh, no politics and um, uh, if I if I have two minutes to mention something here is that uh, the human being uh, is not only a being of the earth uh, but uh, he's also a being of the skies uh, in the sense that uh, human creativity through science and technology helps the human spirit 
to overcome the forces and the inertia of the material world and to pursue structural changes. Um, moreover, man relates to beings and things mainly through meanings and significances and evaluates beings and things. And therefore, uh, due to this situation, um, uh, politics is conducted not only on the earth, but also in the information field or the spiritual field that is created by the communication between conscious beings. Uh, so the conduct of politics on the earth is called geopolitics, which is very trendy, uh, but the conduct of politics in, in the information or the spiritual field that is created by the communication between conscious beings is called no-politics. And it is um, uh, interesting, I think, to, to notice that the term no-politics was not invented by philosophers or esotericists, but by defense experts, specifically by two distinguished Rand Corporation defense experts, John R. Pilar and David Ronfeld, um, uh, in the late 1990s, uh, who realized uh, exactly this uh, very important truth that there is um, a dynamic relationship between uh, spirituality and politics. And they did not only uh, propose the term no politics, uh, but also the term no sphere, uh, no so mind and sphere. Um, and uh, the no sphere is, um, uh, in fact, uh, the entire uh, network of thinking entities throughout the history of humanity. So if, if we um, can imagine uh, the accumulation of all of the thinking processes and the results of all those thinking processes, we come up with the neurosphere uh, which is, uh, in fact, the accumulated thought of humanity. However, um, uh, our research work at the scholarly and political order of the Ur Illuminati, and um, uh, I uh, uh, touch upon the fringe of those research works uh, in, in my book, uh, we are interested in, in expanding um, uh, all this uh, uh, corpus of research work and all these debates beyond the limits of uh, um, uh, thought processes uh, by uh, including uh, a deeper sense and a deeper way of understanding the notion of spirituality, uh, which um, includes aspects that in both philosophy, theology, mysticism, and 
various uh, esoteric and occult traditions are uh, uh, functions of uh, uh, a kind of uh, illuminated intuition, uh, which brings us in the realm of uh, Platonism, Neoplatonism, Bergson's philosophy, uh, contemporary attempts in, in academic philosophy uh, to merge different schools uh, of uh, philosophical thought in these fields, uh, emphasizing uh, metaphysics, and uh, also investigating the manner in which uh, one can uh, be fully aware of one's ontological potential. And, and I, I, I stress this term because as, uh, as Kant, Kant himself, um, the paradigmatic philosopher of modernity and the European Enlightenment, not a traditional metaphysician, uh, but he himself had uh, uh, once uh, argued that uh, the most important uh, starting question in philosophy is uh, to ask what can we achieve, what can we know in particular, but broadly speaking, what can we cognitively or spiritually achieve, and therefore um, investigating the ontological potential of the human being is a key issue because obviously it determines also one's um, uh, historical and uh, um, existential horizons. Well said, and yes, we need this medicine against whatever's coming out from the Rand Corporation, I would say. <laughs> and uh, But again, the elite, they are using symbols against us, magic for centuries. So it's a good idea that we learn how to use magic and symbols against them and find our inner illumination. And what are some of, in the Ur Illuminati, is just a intellectual scholarly pursuit or do you have uh, you might say rituals and so forth to open the channels i know you are of course very embedded in freemasonry but uh, what exactly means to become part of the ur illuminati there are both dimensions um uh, as you mentioned uh, of course there is the intellectual and uh, uh, scholarly and uh, political in the philosophical sense, I want to mention uh, uh, dimensions, but there, there, there is also um, uh, a specific fully articulated ritual, which uh, as a matter of fact uh, covers uh, several aspects of uh, Freemasonry and therefore um, uh, the order of the Uri Illuminati is, is structured um, uh, in, in four uh, levels or degrees. So there is a, uh, a probationary degree of squire novice. Uh, however, uh, this degree is very important because um, 
uh, in this degree is uh, our ritual is structured. Uh, one is, is guided to follow a program of both exterior and in interior perfection according to the order's uh, program, um, which, of course, um, are always philosophically and scientifically rigorous. And um, the second degree, uh, we call it philosopher Ma Mason and Abbot of the Esoteric Arts. Um, this is a very broad degree because it pursues uh, a comparative study of um, uh, philosophy and theology, but at the same time, it, it covers uh, most aspects of traditional Freemasonry, including symbolic masonry, the order of the Holy Royal Arts, the ancient and accepted Scottish Rite, and the ancient and primitive Rite of Memphis Mizraim. And um, then we proceed in our sacrifices, um, uh, which we call uh, Master of Cratology. Uh, cratology is a, a term that uh, is derived from two Greek words. The one is kratos, which means strength, and the other is logos, or discourse in this case. So, cratology is the art and science of social power and social engineering, if I may use this ugly term. <laughs> so, cratology is... Um, um, a, a field and a notion that covers political theory, political psychology, no politics, which I mentioned before, and the, sci and, the, and the scientific field of cybernetics. And our third and last degree, which is mainly administrative, is the Grand Inspector of the Uri Illuminati. And those are, are the members, uh, these are the members of our London Council. Um, overseeing uh, the um, esoteric, ritualistic, ceremonial and research activities um, of our entire organization. So uh, we, we in, in, in this context, um, we um, uh, like to think ourselves of uh, uh, merging the notions and the structures of uh, a Freemasonic institution, a think tank, uh, and a philosophical association into a single entity uh, capable of uh, uh, um, dealing creatively with contemporary humanities issues and challenges. That is great that this is around and more needed than ever as far as I'm concerned. So let's talk a little bit about some of the symbolism, even from your book, that can bring clarity and really teach the, the audience from your book and from this show how to see the world in a different way and how to find your inner illumination. One of them is very fascinating I'd like to talk about. As we discussed even before the interview, as we were chatting, what is the Masonic, symbolic, and didactic symbolism in the myth of Hiram Abiff from a spiritual perspective? Very important to Freemasonry, obviously. 
It is indeed. First of all, sort of historical notice, I think it's worth mentioning it, the didactic and symbolic myth of Hiramabif or Hiramabif is a myth that was developed in London in an era of great controversy about Freemasonry because in the early 18th century there were different Masonic institutions, different Masonic rituals and two competing Grand Lodges after that, the, the Grand Lodge of London and Westminster, the so-called uh, Moderns Grand Lodge, even though it was uh, found in, it was founded in, the, in 1717, and a competing Grand Lodge, the Ancients Grand Lodge, which had a different approach to Freemasonry and Masonic ritual. So when these two lodges after a period of fierce competition, decided to be united in the context of the United Grand Lodge of England in 1813, they agreed that the most fruitful mythology for the third degree would be the myth of Hirama Beef, which was developed by two influential Freemasons, John Theophilus de Sagulaires and James Anderson, both, both of them were pastors, as a matter of fact. And through the myth of Hirama Bif, one pursues an attempt to investigate issues related, again, to the meaning of life and devotion. And for those uh, of our readers who are not very familiar with the myth of Hirama Bif, I would like to mention that in the context of, of, of this myth, one has to realize that both the, the person of Hiramabif, the architect of King Solomon's temple, and the temple itself are symbols of the human being. Namely, one should understand both Hiramabif and his labors as symbols of one's own self and itinerary in life. In fact, as I mentioned, the first record we have of the Hiramic legend being introduced in Freemasonry occurs in the 1730s. And do you think that I should give a hint about the summary of this uh, myth? Yes, please do. Some might not know. Okay. So, first of all, the myth of Hirama Bif is an expansion of the biblical narrative that can be found in First Kings in the Bible. And Hiram was a craftsman of great skill sent from King Hiram of Tyre to King Solomon in order to help him uh, build the Jerusalem temple. And according to the ritual to the Masonic ritual, the master mason in his raising in the third degree participates in the enactment of the drama of the assassination of Hiramabif by three fellow crafts uh, who realized that as the building of King Solomon's temple uh, 
was approaching its completion, uh, they were not in possession of the secrets of a mastermation and therefore they conspired in order uh, to obtain the secrets of the third degree. So uh, according to the mastermation degree ritual, when Hirama B finished his devotions, uh, he moved towards the south entrance where he was opposed by the first of those um, uh, impious fellow crafts who was armed with a heavy plumberule and demanded the secrets of the mastermation, uh, warning Hirama Bif that he would die if he refused to comply with those impious uh, 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 fellow crafts' requests. Uh, Hirama Bif refused to divulge the secrets of the mastermation without the consent and cooperation of Solomon, king of Israel, and Hiram, king of Tyre, and he added that patience and industry would in due time entitle every worthy nation uh, to a participation of the secrets of a master nation. So the, the first fellow craft aimed a violent blow at Hirama Bif, but he only glanced uh, Hirama Bif's right temple. And when Hirama Bif recovered from the shock, he moved towards the north entrance, where he was opposed by the second Impious fellow craft who was armed with a level, and Hirama Bif gave a similar answer to this second uh, ruffian, as it is called in the ritual. And the latter struck him a violent blow on the left temple. So Hirama Bif, faint and bleeding, moved towards the east entrance where he was opposed by the third ruffian who was armed with a mole. So after Hirama Bif gave a similar answer to the third ruffian, the latter struck him a violent blow on the forehead, which was fatal. So uh, the, the above-mentioned uh, Hiramic myth implies that due to Hirama Bif's death, who symbolizes a sense of duty and meaningful life, humanity incurred a, a significant loss. Humans lost the word, the, the capital W, namely the awareness of the ultimate existential purpose. And Freemasonry symbolizes an attempt to, to uh, overcome this loss and acquire again or rediscover that lost awareness, which is the, the word with capital W, or the logos, the ultimate purpose of existence and the ultimate source of values. And therefore, the third degree myth of Hirama Bif is uh, completed in the context of the Holy Royal Arch of Jerusalem, which is an, an, an order beyond the craft in which uh, the genuine awareness is restored. Uh, and uh, in the context of the Rosecroix degree or the Rosicrucian degree, uh, where uh, one uh, achieves a further awareness of the, of the word uh, in the context of the Royal Arch, one um, uh, 
discovers the lost word, if I may use the rituals terminology, the lost word after the, the death of Hiram Abith and the, lost, the, the first awareness of the, of the lost word, the rediscovery of the lost word is the Holy Tetragrammaton as it is known in the, in the context of biblical or Jewish esotericism, uh, which has the significance of its own. Uh, and um, in the con and in the context of the Rosecroix degree, which is the 18th uh, degree of the Scottish Rite, uh, one um, achieves a further awareness that um, uh, the uh, Holy Tetragrammaton can be further uh, understood as Emmanuel or God is with us, which is a, a, a name of of Christ, and in this sense, we have the completion of the restoration of the lost secrets of the masturbation, um, which uh, are, first of all, the awareness uh, of the uh, divine presence, and uh, secondly, the awareness that uh, this divine presence um, is uh, for us to uh, communicate with and participate in, in it, um, which is the esoteric meaning of Emmanuel, in a sense, an, an incarnate and accessible uh, tetragrammaton, uh, in the sense that the point is not being only aware of the divine principle in the form of Yud, Hei, Vav, Hei, or the Tetragrammaton, is, it's not enough to be fully aware of it, but to be aware of one's potential uh, to participate in it. And uh, in fact, um, uh, we had discussed it uh, um, some time ago, um, uh, even and even given me the opportunity to 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 write a sort of say on the Jehovah archetype. Um, there is a, a development in the thought of the Masonic ritual as it proceeds from the um, Tetragrammaton to Emmanuel, because uh, it aims at emphasizing uh, the incarnate presence of God, and uh, in a sense. Uh, the potential divinity of humanity as humanity, as what it essentially is. Well said, Nicholas. I really like that. And uh, isn't there a deeper 33-degree secret regarding the identity of the three assassins of Hiram? That's also a, a powerful undertone. Indeed. Indeed, but um, unfortunately, I will immediately answer your question. Uh, indeed, it is a powerful uh, message, but unfortunately, and I, we, we have to uh, mention this, unfortunately, uh, in several countries around the world, and uh, we, in, in our order of the Uri Illuminati, we try to... to, to uh, change this situation. In, in, in most countries around the world, the 33rd degree is treated as a purely honorific or purely administrative degree. 
And the rituals of uh, the 33rd degree have been chiseled in order to comply uh, with a, a mediocre pro-establishment, pro-status quo approach. But um, uh, the 33rd degree has uh, a very rich um, spiritual and political content because uh, it, in its uh, old traditions, in its old traditional rituals, um, it discloses that the three assassins of uh, Hiram Abif um, were three very well-known forces, uh, which are known as law, possession and religion. So the exoteric law, the exoteric religion and the possession and the possession of material wealth uh, in obsessive sense of ownership, if I may use this term, uh, are the, the forces that um, uh, according uh, to uh, old 33rd degree uh, rituals, uh, active uh, in France mainly, um, uh, assassinate the spiritual and creative force within the human being uh, symbolized uh, by Hiram Abif. And uh, therefore, uh, we realize that uh, 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 the 33rd degree urges a Freemason to uh, uh, contemplate uh, the ethical, philosophical, religious, and political rudiments and ramifications of Freemasonry, which unfortunately uh, in practice does not happen that often. Love it. This is very cool. And I'd like to shift gears. But before I do, Vance, do you have a question on this for uh, Nicholas on the symbolism or Freemasonry or anything you might have on your mind? Yeah, Nicholas, I was wondering if the 33rd degree being administrative degree constitutes an obligation to the person to oversee the integrity of the right and to guard the right against corruption from those three elements that you just mentioned? Um, indeed, it does. Uh, but in, in several countries uh, and in several Supreme Councils around the world, um, the, the contemporary rituals have been rewritten in, in a way that... Uh, uh, do not uh, touch upon core issues as the ones uh, uh, which we have just discussed about and were contained in, in older drafts and uh, varieties of 33rd degree rituals. However, uh, there is a very... Uh, deep tradition uh, of, uh, of this nature 
maintained in uh, uh, the context of the uh, United States Southern jurisdiction, the uh, Grand Orient of France's uh, Supreme Council and the uh, Supreme Council for England and Wales. But unfortunately, um, the um, attempt to um, uh, uh, forbid any political and religious discussion within the context of, of regular Freemasonry um, has impoverished uh, the potential of traditional Masonic rituals uh, to throw light upon very significant aspects of human life, uh, which in my humble opinion cannot be separated from esotericism, because otherwise uh, esotericism sooner or later degrades into moralism. And uh, this is uh, something uh, which uh, um, leads uh, to a, a, an, an, an impoverishment of the entire field of Freemasonry. Uh, so I believe that uh, by uh, expanding uh, on the genuine contents uh, of the 33rd degree of the Scottish Rite in a bold and, and sincere way, we can um, have a much uh, richer and more lively and more creative approach uh, to the entire spectrum of, uh, of Freemasonry. Yeah, I didn't know that there was a prohibition against discussion of politics. That's interesting. And that reminded yeah. me of something I saw in the book. Um, you discussed the uh, various types of socialism. And of course, socialism is a central discussion topic in politics today, especially I know in the United States. So um, um, would this be a good time for you to mention a little bit and educate me and the audience about, you know, authoritarian socialism versus non-authoritarian socialism and how it interacts with Illuminism? Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, this, is, uh, this is, in fact, a, a very important issue uh, because um, uh, there were um, uh, certain assumptions uh, years ago that uh, uh, several Illuminist orders were either reactionary or socialist in, 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 in a very uh, negative sense. Uh, however, I believe that um, even, uh, even uh, on this issue, um, we can have a, we, we need to, to, to clarify things. Um, so first of all, um, uh, we, we can have a fundamental distinction between uh, individualism and communitarianism. The problem is that um, uh, both this aspect, both of these aspects of, of human life and attitudes um, are useful in, in, and the problem is that uh, socialism, uh, as it has been uh, 
formulated in its bureaucratized uh, aspects um, has uh, simply become the the other side of the same kind of problems with uh, uh, individualistic liberalism. So um, I will be. I'll try to be very very brief on these two issues. Uh, individualism uh, in its positive aspect um, and from, a, from, from that perspective uh, highlights uh, a sense of autonomy and uh, individual awareness and personal moral responsibility. Socialism in its positive aspects and and from, from this perspective, emphasizes communion, the event of interpersonal relationships, and the fact that uh, in order for me to exist, I need you, and that through our relationship, uh, we become aware of ourselves vis-a-vis -vis each other, and uh, by analogy, we can say that even the relationship between uh, the human being and uh, God um, is a, 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 an event of communion. But we have, uh, in the context of modernity, um, uh, two, um, if I may use this simplistic term, two negative aspects of both individual liberalism, uh, liberalism in the European sense, which is not the leftist attitude which is implied by the American approach to the term liberalism. Uh, so by liberalism, I refer to classical European uh, individualistic liberalism, not to contemporary uh, leftist uh, variety of American liberalism. I, 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 so, uh, uh, classical 18th century individualistic liberalism um, uh, is, is centered on a type of human being who wants to be self-actualized by continually bringing about changes, uh, uh, that is by, by creating new forms that reflect one's intentionality and manifest one's uh, capabilities and power. Thus, the, the liberal individual treats innovation and entrepreneurship as ends in themselves. And the liberal individual wants to change everything in, in his outer existential conditions in order to leave his ego and, in, and inner life unchanged. Thus, the distinctive characteristic of the modern liberal individual is vanity or vaingloriousness. And furthermore, uh, cons modern conservatism, uh, in contrast to traditionalist conservatism, is nothing more than an attempt to enhance the ability of the liberal individual to control risks and therefore ultimately con con modern conservatism is simply a manifestation of limited imagination. In the context of modernity, um, the 
the manifestation of modernity through socialism and communism, because socialism and communism are uh, products, or their opponents could say byproducts of Western modernity. And we have never to forget that, that uh, uh, socialism and communism um, are products of our of our modern Western civilization. They're not um, uh, culturally alien phenomena or exotic phenomena. Uh, so uh, in the context of modernity, socialism and communism um, are focused and founded on a type of human being who wants to give permanent solutions to historical problems and petrify institutions um, in order to hide um, and conceal uh, one's uh, inferiority complex vis-a-vis uh, -vis those whom he sees as historically superior and to justify one's socioeconomic ineffectiveness. In other words, the modern socialist and communist individual uh, appeals to utopianism and to mediocrity in order to redistribute power away from those actors who are more socioeconomically effective towards those actors who are less socioeconomically effective. And thus, the, as I said before, the distinctive characteristic of the modern um, uh, liberal individual is vanity and very vaingloriousness. And on the other hand, the distinctive characteristic of the modern socialist communist individual, still individual, and I purposely use this term, is envy. Um, so uh, we have uh, very vaingloriousness and selfishness versus envy and selfishness, but selfishness is there in both cases because this is part uh, of the modern mentality and the modern mentality which underpins both modern individualistic liberalism and modern communitarian socialism, communism is uh, a kind of, of, of uh, uh, spiritual selfishness in the sense um, that uh, uh, in the context of uh, modern philosophy and the modern social institutions, as for instance have been described by Immanuel Kant, Hegel, the industrial society, and so on and so forth, um, uh, the underpinning um, uh, principle is that human consciousness uh, in the narrow sense, uh, is an ontologically sufficient underpinning of truth. This is, in other words, a reformulation of uh, Descartes' principle cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore I am. Here, the powerful element in this statement is the I. We have in the case of Descartes, the thinking I. In the case of other modern philosophers, we have the feeling or sensing I. In the case of other philosophers, we have the intuiting I. Every, even in existentialism, we may not have the I, but we have the am, the, of the I, of the I am, 
they think the, the existentialists uh, eliminate the I, but they keep the M from the phrase I am. And they try to find the, uh, the, the pure structure of the, uh, of the individual being. In Hegelians, the I becomes the, the, the nation. Uh, and so on and so forth. I don't want to be oversimplistic, but uh, the entire philosophy um, of modernism um, is um, a, 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 an investigation and, uh, the, and, and, and underpinning of, uh, of the priority and the ontological sufficiency of the I, whether this I is the individual human being, social class, a nation, a race, and so on and so forth. And therefore, um, uh, modern philosophy um, has a, a, an essential problem. The problem is that, first of all, um, the individuals that it creates <clears throat> lack in ontological robustness, and at the same time, uh, the, the, there is a, an important problem in creating a true society because there are no universal values or universal principles. And um, therefore, um, uh, society, um, instead of being uh, a communion, is a partnership, a partnership of, of, of individual uh, partners, but it's, it cannot um, overcome uh, the, the limits of uh, the individuality of the partners. On the other hand, when, it, when modernity tries to overcome the limits of the individuality of its constitutive partners, um, it creates totalitarianism because the communal aspect competes with the individual aspect because these are by definition uh, opposite in the context of modernity. However, this is not necessarily so. Both, both pre-modern philosophy and pre-modern spirituality and post-modern philosophy and post-modern spirituality um, highlight the potential of a socialized individual and of a and of a social structure that uh, does not compete or exclude individuality. This is, as a matter of fact, the, the essence of personhood, uh, which is um, a key issue both in, in modern spiritual and philosophical traditions and in postmodern ones. Again, by the way, in the context of our or Illuminism research program and in the context of our uh, fraternities and institutions uh, research work, we try to bridge and um, unite uh, uh, the, the, the pre-modern person with the post-modern person, uh, utilizing, of course, the collective cultural experience of modernity. And uh, this is uh, one of our key anthropological and cultural, cultural anthropological uh, goals. 
For the audience, uh, he covers all of this in his excellent book, The Meaning of Being Illuminati, the answers, uh, the historical context, the journeys that great thinkers have taken to find insight and revelation on uh, the solutions plaguing humanity and mankind and so much. And we've only uh, scratched a little bit of the surface, but uh, we are at the end. Uh, Vance, uh, thanks for joining us, and I hope you're more illuminated by this. Yeah, at least a tiny bit. Nicholas, it's been a pleasure hearing you uh, tell us about the Ur Illuminati, and it's a, a very big ambitious but worthwhile project and i am interested to see what will happen in the future yes uh thank you nicholas for coming on am by gnostic radio as i like to say here at the virtual alexandria and uh good luck with everything and we hope to have you on soon for uh, to again touch upon these very fascinating subjects thank you very much And there you have it, my beloved True Seekers. The first part of our interview with Nicholas Laos, based on his book, The Meaning of Being Illuminati. Let's continue to starve that dark archetype. And we certainly do that in our second part. Nicholas continues discussing politics, including his original socialistic solution, even as he promotes anarchism as well. Tory anarchism, to be more precise. And yes, Nicholas engages in that charge idea known as globalization, as well as his conception of patriotism. I mean, we all project as a people and as a culture. And what can we bloody do about it? What are some other alternative political solutions? You'll find out. We eventually shift gears and, to set many records straight, Nicholas talks about esoteric Judaism, including the Kabbalah, and how much of it led to the founding of Israel. Then we focus on today's favorite Gnostic boogeyman, the Frankian Jews. Wish the dearly departed and past guest Yaakov Lee was here to set the record straight as a Frankian himself. But we do what we can, and Nicholas is just the mind bomb. Needless to say, we cover much, much more. So please become an AB Prime member or patron at Patreon for the complete dope. If you find this content valuable, please help keep growing this Red Pill Cafeteria. I am 100% audience supported and thus will never sell out as I grant you the wisdom of the Gnostics you won't find anywhere else. A mere $5.99 a lunar cycle, or really whatever you want to pledge a month on Patreon. This is where you finally counter that dark archetype, creating and feeding off so much destruction and suffering in the universe. Please go to the God Above God Dad Cam for how to get this and all other full shows, as well as other wonderful bonuses. If you just want to support with shekels via PayPal or the US mail, head onto my homepage as well, or just message me. 
And as I always say, if you've got holes in your pockets due to the monkey shines of dark archetypes, tell me and I'll send you any show on the burning house. We're all in this together. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self. Hello and goodbye as always. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.